weird. Someone's whistling. Anyway, so Father Harrison, if I was if I was editing a podcast right now, let's just say I'm editing a podcast, listening to a podcast and editing it. (laughs) You know what'd be really good to do while editing that podcast? What? Just eating like a lot of Reese's cups. Reese's peanut butter cups, hmm. just like scarfing them down. Because after all, you know, if you're a podcast editor, yeah. you work hard all day. Yeah. You're editing podcasts. You deserve a treat. You need that something that like peanut that. butter protein. Absolutely. Right? Um, yeah. And like what? It's probably what like 10, 10 Reese's peanut cup butter cups per per episode at least. Yeah, at the very least, yeah. it's really it's something you deserve. Right. Um, you, you need the energy. Also, like like some chips and salsa mm-hmm. would be great. Mm-hmm. While editing a podcast, like two liters of Coke. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And like, like go some, like some deep what? fried donuts. Excellent. Yes, yeah. that as well. Uh-huh. Uh, I think all those things. If if I was editing a podcast, mm-hmm. um, I think I would feel absolutely no guilt in consuming all of that. Right. Um, because I'm just you know it's 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 important to treat yourself every Abs- once in a while, Father yes. Harrison. Because we all know it's all about yeah. us. Right, it's all about the exactly. self, and it's about treating the self and self care, really. Absolutely, yeah. this is self care. This is mental health, physical health. This is what you need to do. Um, also, on a completely unrelated note, uh, producer uh, Nick is in this weight loss competition with one of his friends that uh-huh. he began just the other day. Uh-huh. So that's going to be fun for me to watch how that goes and uh, to see uh, who will end up winning that competition, who can lose the most weight uh, from now basically until Thanksgiving, which is very exciting. So, question. Uh, yes. How are they judging who wins? Because they're different weights and stuff like that, right? Yeah. So I think it's amount of weight or percentage of weight. I don't know exactly what they're doing, but they weighed in uh, just a few days ago, and they'll end right before Thanksgiving. Who has to see who the? Wins. This might be a, a hard question to ask, but like, who has the um, larger body mass? Uh, you know, I, all I saw was the picture. They did some weigh-in pictures. Yeah, I saw the picture too, and I have my opinion. It, it, it's looking like producer Nick. He's, it he's, does. So here's he's the looking... thing. Here's the thing. He's actually yeah. at an advantage. Right. Because um, if you the more uh, mass one has, mm-hmm. the quicker some of that stuff can fall off at first sight, at least. Like, like um, right. the leaner one is, the harder... And plus you're building maybe muscle mass at the same time, for example, right? So there's all mm-hmm. sorts of factors that go into this. And so I saw the picture and I heard, like, it's, I heard, I heard the percentage thing about it. I was like, oh man, Nick's, Nick's at the advantage already. What a schemer. What a yes. schemer. Now, wait, wait, what's, so how, what is the prize for this? I think, I don't know what the, if there's actually a prize. Oh. This is more like point? a bragging rights kind of thing. Uh, that's boring. You got to risk I mean, something. Like you're not risk. Who cares about bragging? See, the thing is, these guys are both on Twitter, and they're yeah. going to be harassing each other over the weeks. It's gonna, it's gonna get intense. I think it's gonna be worth it. Neither one's going to want to fold. Also, like they've they've made this public. They're promising the respective wife, and then the other one, his girlfriend, that they're trying to do this to be healthy. So there's a lot of social and societal pressure on them right now, yeah, which I'm all I for. S- I, f- I feel like the loser has to lose something. Like, Ooh, like I, that's maybe good. has yeah. to be like a vegetarian for a week after during thanksgiving and after wow that would be brutal (laughs) the one who who lost this the lower percentage has to be a vegetarian for one week 
I love that idea. I do too. And I think the listeners need to make their voices heard on Twitter, okay. on social media, by sending us countless emails. Well, no, okay, don't actually send us countless emails because that's not fair to Riley. Uh, yeah. but, but, you know, make your voices heard, people, and let people know that, that something has to be risked here. So the loser has to, to lose something. Otherwise, they're not really a loser. I, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. Also, I have no problem. Um, harassing my brother about this yeah. because he is to- he totally tried to stack the deck. Like the week before the weigh-in, he was on vacation yeah. with the family. And so he's just he's like chowing down. going to town, right? Just clogging up those Stacking arteries. Stacking the deck. Yep, exactly. So, so um, he may lose weight faster, but his heart is already done. Yeah, well, I mean, that was from putting salt on McDonald's for years and years and years. But this is good. Why? This it's is good to try to get enough. healthy. It's already got way too much I know, salt. I know. I know. This is I've is one really vice. Like, I've never been like a huge salt person. Like I don't mind a bit of salt, but I've never like loaded mm-hmm. things up with salt. I've never really liked that, and I've never I've, cared for that. I've seen it. I've seen it with my own eyes. Oh, I'm sure. Several times. My mom and gets it's, extra salt it's, packets for her McDonald's fries. I'm like, why? Oh yeah. Why? Uh, I don't get it. I don't, I don't get, get it. it. I don't get it. So. At all. Uh, for me, the best way to start, clerically speaking, is to put my brother on blast in front of thousands and thousands of listeners right. as further motivation and harassment. So welcome to Clerically Speaking. I am Father Anthony. And I'm Father Harrison. So uh, before I go into a bit, my thing is, is uh, um, here's the secret I've learned. What's the secret? Mm-hmm. One, uh, tracking calories can be very helpful. Mm-hmm. It's a, it can be a little soul-sucking sometimes, but it can be very helpful. <laughs> Sure. Drink, especially for that first week or two, drink as much water as humanly possible. You will be amazed how much weight you'll lose that first week. The problem becomes, of course, you lose, like, I, I remember when I started my current weight loss stuff, and I'm, you know, it's been a little stuck lately because for a variety of reasons, but like, you know, I'm still better than I was two months ago. Um, sure. Good. You lose a lot of weight that first week with all the water and everything and calorie tracking. Like I think I lost like seven pounds my first week, but then it goes down to like half a pound a week or something like that. And that's when it's mm-hmm. and you're like, wait, wait, why aren't things working like they did that week? Why isn't it going as fast anymore? This doesn't make sense. This is not fair. It's the grind. It's the discipline. What happens if someone is- gets a liposuction? Or like their stomach, their stomach. You know they do that that gastro procedure to your stomach to make it smaller, so you can lose a lot of weight. What happens? You if know, that happens? Well, I think I don't think because we all know that being a youth a minister, good, yeah. this obviously he makes enough money to be able to do this. Absolutely. Um, so if if producer Nick wants to win so bad, he gets a uh, back alley liposuction. Then you know what? Good for him. If you want it that badly, <laughs> and you live through it, yeah, I think that's fair. That's funny. That's great. Um, man, I'm, I'm a bit of a whirlwind. I literally just got home like five minutes ago. Uh, mm-hmm. It's been it's been an intense couple of weeks at the parish for a variety. Like, August is supposed to be slow. Like, in, like the summer yeah. is supposed to be slow in the parish. It has been anything but that for me for a variety of reasons. Uh, partly, is always, as is always the case, being an uh, ADHD person who can never judge the cost of time ever or how long things will take. Uh, you know, it's often my own fault. But I literally just got back. I so I just uh, spent uh, two nights actually in Seattle. So uh, there's a ferry in Victoria called the Clipper, and it's a walk-on ferry. It takes you from downtown Victoria straight to downtown Seattle. And uh, I went to go hang out with uh, Father Matt Fish and uh, Father Colin Parrish, uh, Father Michael Dion, and uh, their vocations director, who is a fan of the podcast. 
This is always oh, weird really? to me whenever I encounter anybody at all who mm-hmm. actually listens to us, which actually there's a lot. Uh, but yeah, Father Justin Ryan, who is their vocations cool. director for the Archdiocese of Seattle. And so, you know, uh, Father Matt's like, hey, I'm going to be in town for a week. Can, can you make it down at all? I'm like, actually, my day off, I got nothing there. And Tuesday morning, I got nothing so I can get back in time to the parish and everything. And I'm like, yeah, I can do this. So I got down there on Sunday night, got in about 8 o'clock, got back this morning to Victoria around 11 and drove straight up here to record a podcast with you. But, um, but it was a really, you know, it was just, I'm like, this is what a day of rest should be like. Like it was actually quite rest. I had to do one little work thing, but it was very important mm-hmm. actually. Um, uh, but otherwise I'm like, this was restful. Like you are praying together. You're we're going, we're going for a beer somewhere. Like we're having meals. We're, sharing meals together i gotta go to chick-fil-a which always makes me happy uh you know <laughs> yeah. because also you want to eat chick-fil-a perhaps while you're recording a podcast too or, or editing oh, yeah. a podcast obviously um, you can door dash that oh while you're editing the podcast right like mm-hmm. and like get yourself get yourself two sandwiches and a large fries like like just, just treat treat yourself it's chick-fil-a absolutely it's worth it yeah and it's god's so, chicken it's, it's, exactly exactly um so and so father colin for example he's very in like actually a lot of these guys are very like community liberation stuff too so very we're all on the same page there which was really fun um but it was just <laughs> it was just, it was like truly restful like i i actually slept a full night the sunday night which is never ever ever happens for me um and it's just good to have good presbyteral fellowship like that which I, you know, I have I have good priests in my diocese too, right? But again, we're small. Uh, we're all kind of, is we being with a bunch of guys your age is quite quite refreshing and nice. And so I I really enjoyed it so much that I'm like I have to go back down maybe every three months or so and just go hang out with them for a couple of days and get refreshed and renewed and come back. So yeah, I agree. That's great. So shout out to all of those guys and uh, thanks, Father Justin, for now. Of course, of course. Wait, we have to. Since mm-hmm. Father Justin is their vocations director, and now that okay. I have obviously publicly shouted him out on the podcast, mm-hmm. part of his job of promoting vocations, because as you know, many, I think this is actually true. This is not a joke. We've actually had many men reach out to us via email, et cetera, to tell us that they've gone to seminary in part, large or small, because of the podcast. Entirely because of us. I mean, really entirely, but, but you know, but anyways, yeah. But, but like. Entirely because of our own skills and yep, talents. Yep. Um, Holiness. That's uh, you know, what? humility. I just, I like just love our lar- like our massive humility. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 an impressive amount of humility. Yeah, and I just love saving souls. Mm-hmm. That's just what I do. Mm-hmm. So I'm just happy by my own power um, to just make new vocations. Right. So That's... basically, I'm a better vocation director than that guy is. I mean, like how many how many listen, priests has he made? Listen, this is my this is my proposition here. Is like as vocations yeah. director. It's now his responsibility to really share this podcast with people, like to tell other young men about it. Because what I'm doing is I'm making his life easier. Oh, I you don't need to worry about anything. Just listen to this podcast, and life is good. You're good. You'll you, you will get your call through listening to this. And there you go. You're he fine. can share he can share his po- the uh, the podcast all he wants. I want a share of his salary because if he's oh, going to yeah. use our podcast, like we deserve some of the, his money. Oh, I mean, I mean, well, duh. Yeah. Right. Like, like, of course, that's going to happen. I mean, that's justice. That is that's justice. That is. I mean, so for every mm-hmm. seminarian who listens to this podcast that goes to semi for the Archdiocese of Seattle now, the Archdiocese of Seattle will now make us a one thousand dollar donation per seminary. But you know, okay, I like where you're going. Okay. But let's be honest. Like, what's the value of a priest? I mean, it's really infinite. So really, they should give us 
the whole ownership of the corporation sold the Archdiocese to Seattle. There you go. I don't know if I actually want all that responsibility, but I do want all yeah, their stuff. Yeah, think about all the legal responsibility that comes with that, okay? Yikes. Okay, so don't want that, but <laughs> I do want all the their paperwork. stuff. All the paperwork. I want my, my rectory just be decorated in statues and church paraphernalia from their parishes. Okay. I'm going to raid it all. Okay. Claim it for my own. Gotcha. And if we were to do that, that would be quite the emergency for the Diocese of Seattle. Mm-hmm. Let's jump into a different kind of emergency a theological emergency. Thank you for calling Clerically Speaking. If this is truly a theological emergency, please dial 1 at any time. Hi, I flushed my goldfish down the toilet, and I wanted to know, is that a sin? Theological Emergency. We'll take your call at 412-912-7995. Hi, this is Erin from Morgantown, West Virginia, and yes, that is my real name. I have a question about the infant of Prague, namely, what the heck is it, and is it a legit devotion? Well, Erin, if that is your real name, uh, what is the infant of Prague? The infant of Prague is Jesus. Did you not know this? I mean, what is it? Shame on you. That's our Lord and Savior as a little baby. You didn't know that's ridiculous. Okay, so do you want to hear the Father Anthony version of the Infant of Prague? Father Harrison, you ready for this? I mean, absolutely. Okay, so uh, basically somehow a statue from Spain, little baby Jesus, um, somehow got over to the Prague area. And because of war and stuff, because that happens in Europe, uh, his hands fell off. Okay. And a uh, Carmelite priest, I believe, um, made him some new hands. And then the little baby Jesus statue said, hey... You give me hands, I'll give you things. You honor me, I'll honor you. And everyone in Prague was like, you know what's a great way to honor baby Jesus? Let's give him cool clothes, like all the time. Mm -hmm. So we'll give him fancy duds for different seasons, holidays. We'll dress him up and we'll get all kinds of blessings. In general, (laughs) in very broad strokes from my understanding, that is the infinite Prague. It is a legit, um, and it's one of the most delightful, in my opinion, one of the most delightful devotions you can possibly do because you just get to dress up Jesus. Give him some nice, some nice, you know, clerics or like some nice vestments. You change it out for, for Christmas and for Easter. And then you get blessings. Yeah. It's a totally legit devotion. It's just that it's, it's the, um, it's the Czech way of honoring the infant Jesus. Right. Mm-hmm. That's Yeah. Essentially, it's, it's a real it's thing. Also, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's also ahead. a great way to honor priests. Like, you can buy a priest fancy new vestments all the time, and you'll get blessings. Right? Is that how that works? No. I think it is. No. No? Okay. I don't know. All right. I actually, like, I. it's one of those devotions I've never really, like, I've seen it. Mm-hmm. I've seen, you know, statues of it. It's just never been something I, I've just kind of been oriented toward for whatever reason. So... I've never really paid yeah. attention to it, to be honest. So I actually, like, I know this is going to surprise people. I actually have nothing to say. Well, I mean, I basically gave... You gave a perfect answer. Best explanation. Exactly. So, I mean, why would I have to round that out in any way, shape, or form? Emergency solved, so-called Aaron from West Virginia. Let's jump to another one. Hey, guys. I am a Catholic who is the guitarist at a Pentecostal church. The pastor knows I'm a Catholic, and I learned that he and his wife are planning to invite me over for dinner soon, 
to maybe try and talk me into joining their church. I feel pretty confident in my ability to defend the faith, but I'm wondering, what is the best way to approach this conversation? Part of me wants to be really defensive and turn the tables and talk him into being Catholic, but another part of me is worried that that would turn into an argument where no one's listening and no one's really changed. So what do you think? Hmm. I think this is a good question. I mean, I think it's, it is interesting how, I mean, listen, it's not bad for him. Listen, I mean, like the first thing is because we all know, we all know, right? What makes you a Catholic? Not your baptism, not your regular attendance at mass. Mm -mm. It's being in the parish database. That sure. is the truest sign. That is the eternal mm. remainder of, of your Catholicism, right? So, I mean, this is the question I have in my sense itself sometimes. Like, what does he mean by joining your church? Does he mean it's like signing up in the, like, whatever, fine. I don't care. Uh, like, <laughs> you know, you're not, but it doesn't mean you're making a profession of faith or anything like that. Um, uh, but, you know, I think it, I think it's about, and I, I don't think it's about going in with, he may be coming in with an agenda, and maybe being ready for that. If you feel it's a good thing to enter into a conversation with this, it's not a bad thing, but also like trying to go in with the open heart, not in the sense of like, I am open to becoming Pentecostal. It, it's more of a, I actually have, I cannot really prejudge what the conversation is going to be about what this person wants. And I think actually embodying a kind of listening attitude can really disarm in some ways and say, you know, so that if he gives you, if he, if you listen a lot to him, then, uh, then you could just say, you know, as the conversation goes, I mean, who knows how it's going to go. You could, all, you could say, okay, well, like in, in a, in a spirit of mutuality here, I, I think, you know, I'd like to speak my piece and I hope you can give me the same respect to listen to me kind of thing. Right. Like, and say, and that's all we're going to do. We're just going to listen to each other. And that's it. Um, it, it's hard to know because like, I don't like different personalities, all this jazz, it gets a little tricky, but, um, I think, I don't think it's a bad thing to go to dinner there because I think there's a, there's an opportunity in both, they, every, both sides see an opportunity here. Mm -hmm. Um, except of course we have the Holy spirit. Yes. <laughs> that is a very unecumenical <laughs> thing for me to say. I know this, but I'm just, and I'm kind of, I'm, ha I'm joking there except that we actually get a sacrament that actually affects that. But anyways, um, yes. um, so, you know, I just, I don't think there's anything. And, and like, I also know, like, again, my experience of Protestantism is very minimal because of Canada, but I know there's also like different strands of Pentecostalism. Mm -hmm. Some of them aren't even Trinitarian and stuff like that. So it gets a little wonky sometimes. And I don't know what, what kind of stuff happens with that church, but you know, just if you, th if you feel like he's a guy who you could probably, probably properly relate to and enter into a real dialogue and discussion with, that's all. That's all. That's that's your whole plan. That's it. Just have a discussion, and see where the Holy Spirit leads. Yeah, I think you know you should. Um, you've gotten the invitation. Just ask if uh, your mother can join, because uh, she'd really like to talk with them as well. And of course, they'll say yes. And then you need to go out to a religious goods store and buy like a six foot statue of the Blessed Virgin Mary, and just bring that with you and sit her at the table, and. Uh, that's how you should start. Go start off oh, strong. Yeah, and make sure she has like at least three rosaries that she's praying all at like once. Like three rosaries on there, she's gotta, right? Well, you she's already four, thrown them off. She's got to pray balance. all four more, all four sets of mysteries at once. 
Exactly, exactly. So you've thrown them off balance. They're on the defensive. From there, you just start... You take out a crucifix and you just start hitting them over the head with it. And saying, so repent, power, repent, the power repent. Of Christ compels you. Yep. And then you pull out two catechisms and you just chuck them at them. <laughs> and then you uh, leave. Deuces. Peace out. Yeah. Um, while you're sprinkling holy water as you leave. Oh, while you're sprinkling. Yeah, we'll get you some holy water. You'll get, you'll be, you'll be ready to go. Uh, the thing is, you don't have to have, you have no obligation. You have no responsibility mm-hmm. in this sense. Like, you've been invited to dinner, go to dinner, eat some food, have a conversation, whatever. Like, you don't have to convert them. You don't even have to defend your faith terribly well. Um, You should do your best and do so in charity. Like, we do have the obligation to do that. But um, they may ask you questions you don't have an answer to. That's fine. Just be like, I don't know the answer to that. Um, There's no, like, shame in that. Uh, The worst thing we can do in these conversations is make them adversarial Mm -hmm. uh, and make them about winning and losing. Um, the good news is they seem to like you. They, they are inviting you over to their house. Um, I'm glad you keep your guitar at their church and not at a good Catholic parish where there should be absolutely no guitars. So like you're, you're obviously a very prudent fellow to begin with. So I would like you to take that liturgical prudence and just bring it over to a pastoral kind of prudence. But, uh, no, it's good. And, um, it, it can be look at it as an opportunity to talk about the thing that you probably love the most, Jesus. Um, that's, that's great. Amen. Yeah. Cool. Alrighty. Um, we've been uh, joking around, talking a lot, kind of, uh, and most of our jokes so far this episode have been around the topic of pride. So let's let's talk about pride they a little have? bit in today's. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, in today's presbyteral exhortations. And now it is time for. Presbyteral exhortations. Oh, yes. yes. Quite good, quite good. Indubitably. <laughs> I bet they can't wait to learn. They're gonna learn so much. It's my favorite part. It's the best part. <laughs> yes, yes, quite. Yes. Father Harrison. Yes, Father Anthony. How, how would you describe a beginner in the spiritual life? Like, give me the broad outline of what a beginner looks like in the spiritual life. Like a baby. What they do. Like a tiny baby, yes. Um, um, no, just beginner in spiritual life um, tries to talk to God, and however mm-hmm. they might like, and is attempting to just make the faith something somehow regular in their life. Like so, maybe try to start going to mass on Sundays, and maybe try to say grace at meals, and maybe you know saying a, a bit of prayers or reading a bit of scripture each day or something like that. Like like you know nothing huge, but just trying to regularize faith. Okay. Um, I think that that it is kind of close to how St. John of the Cross would talk about a beginner. I think okay. St. John of the Cross' idea of a beginner is like a step or half step beyond that. Okay. That there has been a conversion of hearts. So what you're saying, wait, 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 wait. So you're, mm-hmm. what you're saying is yeah. I'm more merciful than a St. John of the Cross in, in like acknowledging people where they're at. Uh, you can acknowledge people where they're at and still be wrong about stuff, okay. Father Harrison. Okay. So uh, the, the way I'm going to be using beginner is not how Father Harrison is going to use the term yeah. beginner. Uh, I'm going to use it as St. John the Cross would. Okay? okay. So the idea that someone has made a genuine kind of conversion of hearts is praying regularly, is engaging in religious practices regularly, is at the start of their life. So there is this kind of like solidly in, but they're just beginning. Is that... That makes sense? Does that yep. work for that makes our sense. conversation yep. today? Yep. That works. Okay. And I was thinking about this because 
as a priest, I, I, I deal with a lot of beginners, which is um, a good thing. Um, that's what a father should be doing to help beginners along mm-hmm. the path. It's also very exciting uh, when someone has made or has been uh, truly you know, converted in their heart, is just starting off, everything's fresh and new and exciting and terrifying. And that's, it's really fun to journey with somebody through that. But also, a lot of the problems and, and pitfalls that beginners face um, are very similar to the ones that people further along in the spiritual path um, mm-hmm. face as well. So even if you're not a beginner, um, it's there can be some good stuff looking back at the spiritual journey to see in what ways you can learn from that, right? Right, right. And I've been thinking about this because um, it's, it's one of those things that where bunch of different things in my life have converted into this topic so stuff that i've been dealing with with people i meet with and then the other day um father harrison you did one of the best priest moves it's my favorite thing that a priest does i love it only really great priests do this i asked for a book recommendation oh okay that's not the thing you're talking about that's not the priest move you're talking about sorry i was thinking of a different well who's the priest move i don't know what you're talking about uh the hijacking in a, a DM group we're in yesterday. Oh yeah, no, so, okay, no, no, that's no, not no. The best. That, that, that was actually a, also a great priest move, but that's a whole other thing. Yeah, I'm not. We'll, Excellent. We'll yes, leave it. No, no, no. We'll leave it there. Sorry. Yes. Okay. No, no. I recommended a book. The best thing that I love it when priests do is that they recommend a book they've never read before. <laughs> it's my favorite thing that clerics do, because we're like, even if we, I, we're always surrounded by books. Any good priest is surrounded by books, and you never want to say. You never want to not have a book recommendation. So, like, if you've heard a book is good, sometimes you'll recommend it as if you've read it yourself. Now, you just said this has been recommended to me a lot, and I picked it up, and it's called The Dark Knight, a psychological psychological experience and spiritual reality by Father Mark Foley, um, who's a Carmelite. This was uh, recommended to me by Sister Julia Benedicta from the Pauline Sisters. Yes. So that's the thing. I, that, that's a good authority to take it on. That, that's a great authority. I love it. Okay. So I start. So stuff um, in the first few chapters of that book. Stuff I've been thinking about. Conversations we're having. All converge into this topic about beginners, and not just beginners, but the spiritual pitfalls that beginners often face. Mm-hmm. And it all begins surprisingly with God's consolation. Mm-hmm. This happens very often after a conversion when someone has started to um, fight against maybe some of their sinfulness, is engaging in religious practices, and is often given the gift of consolation in those moments. So think back about when you kind of first realized Jesus was a real person or realized God was real or first felt God touch your heart or however you want to phrase it, or maybe it was a slow coming to, um, but, but for converts who either for converts or people who kind of enter into their faith in a deeper way. I think most people experience consolations from God at that moment. And so like you really enjoy going to the church and praying before the tabernacle, or you just love the rosary. You can't stop praying the rosary, or you've just like been amazed and awed by a scripture and you're receiving all these consolations so far. So good. Mm-hmm. That sounds delightful, mm-hmm. but it's also sometimes where the pitfalls first begin. Mm-hmm is not, well, I'll talk about that, but like after this constellation that's given. So St. John of the Cross has this um, drawing of Mount Carmel. Mm-hmm. And there's like a way going straight up and there's a way going to the left 
off, not going up the mountain, and a way right going off the mountain. Mm-hmm. So those two paths on the right and left, bad paths. Okay. And one says the goods of earth, and the other path is the goods of heaven. Mm-hmm. And both of these, will, neither of these will bring you to God. You're going off the mountain. Right. And sometimes what can happen is in a conversion that we simply trade the goods of earth for the goods of heaven. You, now, keep what, in mind. What do, mean, what do you mean by that exactly? Like, I, I, yes. I think I know, I, I can intuit what you're meaning by that, but yeah. Right. Yeah. So what I mean by that is um, they're both good. Mm-hmm. And I think he talks about, let's see, the goods of heaven, goods of earth. So uh, joy, knowledge, consolation, rest. All those things are good, whether they're the goods of heaven or the goods of earth. But neither of them are God himself. Okay. Okay. That's actually not what I was That's what I'm so talking that's, that's about. What I appreciate. Okay. Yes. Yes. Um, it's pursuing secondary goods, the gifts of secondary goods, and instead of God. And while the religious ones may seem more holy, they can become idols. They can become pitfalls, just as much as earthly goods mm-hmm. can. Mm-hmm. Also, within um, their places, they're both good things. Mm-hmm. So knowledge, joy, rest, consolation, these are all, they're fine, they're good, but we can be tempted to make them everything. Mm -hmm. Okay. Another thing that happens is, and it's very difficult, that we conflate both appearances and emotions with reality. Mm -hmm. Um, So a lot of people who have progressed along the spiritual life will look back on their beginnings and think that they were holier back then. Right. Because they were praying the rosary and they loved it. And they loved looking at the tabernacle and, and praying to our Eucharistic Lord. And they were excited for Mass. And they were reading readings before Mass. And all of a sudden, none of that consolation is there anymore. And they think that they've fallen from grace. That they're no longer holy. When instead, while those consolations are good things and they're gifts from God, um, back then you were a tiny baby. Mm-hmm. And God was holding you in his arms and uh, throwing you up in the air and making you giggle and all these fun things. And that's all good, but you were still a tiny baby. Now he set you on the ground and it's time for you to learn how to walk, which is far more difficult. It feels like you're alone, even though he's right there with you, right? It feels like an abandonment. It feels like darkness, but it's not. It's actually a deeper experience of God's love, which we'll get to. So a lot of times people look at that and um, they think they used to be holier when uh, not true. And so uh, I'm going to talk about a uh, spiritual pride, which is one of the pitfalls. In St. John on the Cross, he goes over um, basically all the deadly sins and how it relates to spiritual things. Mm-hmm. Um, everything from greed to lust to, but pride's a good one to start. Sound good? Yep. I mean, it's it's the highest of the sins. It's actually, and it's right. actually, like at least with the desert fathers, it's the hardest one to address because yes. it's at the root of all of them. Like that's why you have to go and through the lower ones first, right? And yeah. it's super super sneaky. Yeah. Okay. So, um, hopefully, listening to this, we will all feel a little bit embarrassed. Right. Hopefully, listening to this, we'll all feel a little bit ashamed, and ashamed guilty. in the sense guilty. that, like, yes, guilty. Right. Uh, so the author uses the word shame, oh, but okay. a guilt that comes from your pride breaking under your feet and your face hitting the concrete floor of humility, mm-hmm. which while not fun <laughs> is something that we all need. Yeah. Okay. 
Now, you may think to yourself, as I've been saying all this, um, wait a second. It sounds like you're saying that the cause of our pride, or these pitfalls, is God's consolation. Isn't that a problem, Father Harrison? Why would God's consolation... Because then God us, is, because then God's causing our sin. Right. Um, but that's not what you're saying. That's not. It can't be. No, you're if it is about, what I'm saying, I'm in big trouble. Right. It's <laughs> how we have responded to these things and made them God himself. Yeah. Um, so God's constellations often become a catalyst that reveals our hidden pride. Mm-hmm. And it can start off like really small uh, and almost imperceptible. So you receive all these constellations and you're, you keep praying like, God, I'm so glad you've done all these things for me. Mm-hmm. And there's a good way to understand that, but there's also a sneaky prideful way that you may be saying that, that you all of a sudden feel like you're God's chosen one mm-hmm. or God's special one. Now we're all special. Don't get me wrong, but in a way that puts you above right. others. And it starts off kind of quiet like that. But then it can kind of balloon into these outward shows of pride. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, your spiritual pride is pretty much obvious to everyone except yourself. So, um, pride blinds, begin- right? It doesn't always. Always- pride uh, uh, blinds you, it refuses to allow the light to shine in. Mm-hmm. Uh, it blinds you, but it's often <laughs> embarrassingly apparent to everyone else. Right. I would say to, to most everyone else. It's kind of like a solar think... eclipse. Like you're the blackness yeah. and you can't see the light yeah. around you, but everyone else sees the light the, around you type of thing. That's a yes, good, Yeah, there you go. Absolutely. Pride is a, is a lunar eclipse or solar eclipse, I should be saying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, so the people who are um, really excited to pray in front of others. Mm-hmm or are really excited to point out the faults of others mm-hmm. or really want to seem holy. The problem with this is that while it's obvious to most people who have progressed along the spiritual life, I found that it's, it's maybe not obvious to people who are just beginning. Um, that sometimes they think that this person actually is holy right. when really they're not. Right. So that this can be a danger. Because um, they're both falling into the same trap. They have this convoluted idea of what holiness is. They think the emotion and the appearance equals holiness. Yeah, and it, it falls into um, holiness as performance in a way. Like, um, yeah. And by this, I mean, like, all you see is the action, but you don't know the, the actor, if you will. Like, um, um, the way I kind of want to contextualize that is to say, you may not jump to that conclusion if you knew the person really well and you'd either be able to say, Oh, this person's like really struggling with this or they're like, and then it'll like, it'll help you like reduce the idolization of what they have. Right. Mm-hmm. You, cause you, cause you realize all you're doing is, is you're abstracting, if you will, their, their kind of performative holiness away from their person. And, and I, and that's not helpful. And I mean, and we all do that, right? Like it's about saying like mm-hmm. holiness, true holiness and true desire for holiness is mediated through others, but in a real relationship, not just something I just observe you praying your rosary on Sunday and that's it. But it's like, I actually know you. I know your person. I know your faults and I know your weaknesses. And I see that that's also a place where God's grace is at work and that that tension is, that's what actually makes you saintly. Otherwise, if all you do and all I see is just the good stuff and I never see the weak or the bad, then you're not growing and I don't need to, I should not imitate you. 
Right. Um, so some of the, some of the signs of this, and um, I kept thinking about when I was reading this and some of the examples he was giving. I kept seeing myself in college seminary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was feeling like cringy looking at. So example, um, uh, an eagerness to jump into spiritual conversations mm-hmm. and to give your own two cents. Like you, you refuse to listen to anyone else. You're just very excited about what you are going to say. And if you don't actually know what's going on, you'll try to say something anyway, because you want to perform to, you want others approval that you are holy. Mm-hmm. And I remember specifically one time I did this and was was just destroyed by it. Um, we were in the kitchen some time in seminary and uh, we were discussing uh, the scapular. We all had different scapulars, we're kind of, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. showing each other what kind of scapular we had. And then um, one of the guys had scapular and it was kind of in plastic. So it had like the, you know, the cloth in plastic. And someone's like, does that count if it's in plastic? And I said, no, it doesn't count. It has to have, there has to be cloth touching the skin. And the guy who had the scapula looked at me and goes, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Hmm. That makes absolutely no, how would that in any way affect the efficacy of a scapular? And just totally destroyed me from everyone. Mm-hmm. Very humbling moment where I realized like, I had just made that up out of nowhere. Because right. I wanted to seem intelligent or spiritual in front of everyone else right yeah yeah and i i think part of this it's not even necessarily like it's a weird thing it, it's a bit of a pride thing it's also a bit of, it's like it's just like in some ways it does follow, follow the whole pattern of life it's like the awkward 13 year old who's like kind of slowly becoming a teenager type of thing and you're so you're, you're trying to figure out your identity by pushing boundaries being super performative and like uh, um that it's it is and 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 pride is mixed in there with actually like a really good desire and so the whole point of maturing is to see that that what the good desire is and to start canceling out the pride and saying i don't make myself you know my i'm received blah 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 um and i so i think like they're yeah like the the stages of life if you will uh, are very um are a good way of looking at all this and to see like yeah because yeah. like pride really does want to uh yeah anyways yeah. Um, and so I remember that moment. Uh, I, yeah. That moment still haunts me to this day. Yeah. As a reminder, like that's it, it, also why we were talking about um, with one of our theological emergencies about why I was so strong about like you, you don't have to have every answer is because that'd be another way I would fall. Yeah. Because I was a seminarian. Whenever I was talking to my Protestant friends, whatever, I felt like I had to have every answer. Yeah. And in the same way, I would make stuff up that I wasn't sure of. Yeah. And I would feel the guilt of it at the time, but I would keep going. Hmm. This idea, like, I had to know everything because I was the holy one because right. I went to seminary. Right. Yeah. Um, and there's a fun quote uh, the author gives from St. John Climacus, if, that's his, if that is his real name. <laughs> because of our unwillingness to humble ourselves, God has arranged that no one can see his own faults as clearly as his neighbor. Right. So since we so badly don't want to humble ourselves, God's like, I'll give you some people mm-hmm. and they'll see your faults. Yep. Okay. And there's other kinds of pride that, uh, whereas you want to put everyone else down, you want to uh, show that other people aren't holy to kind of point yourself out how good you are. That's the thing that happens. The beginner who has this false idea of holiness where they are the center of it uh that's an untenable position to hold and that person will very quickly feel like they are living a double life 
So there's their idea of holiness, that in one sense they receive these consolations, and in one sense they are reading the Bible and doing these things, but they also are still sinners. And maybe some of their sins are really embarrassing to them. And so unable to live with that dichotomy, their idea of holiness and also the idea of their sinfulness, they will tear down other people. And we see this very often, I suspect, on the internet with lots of comments. I think there's a there's a great temptation where a lot of the anger from Catholics comes from is this unable to live with this dichotomy in your life, your idea of holiness and your idea of sinfulness, mm-hmm. both of which, your idea of holiness and your idea of sinfulness, are both prideful. Because this is another thing that I've seen, where people will make themselves out to be the worst kind of sinners and will almost flaunt their sinfulness mm-hmm. in a way to bring attention to themselves. Right. And they don't realize they're doing it. They're try- they know they don't want to seem to be, they don't want people to think that they think that they're holy. Right. That, did you follow that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Right, or, or, and so they go. The it can also go, and it can also like that same. Sorry, mm-hmm. that that same logic can also go a different direction too, where it goes into this real self hatred. Yes, right? where oh, I, there's yeah. self hatred in this. Yeah. Yes, because it's like, oh, I I am, yes, I am a sinner. I'm really unlovable, and actually, and it disconnects from God's love, which is mm-hmm. al- always greater than any sin, um, and so it refuses to put pride in its place, which is that it's actually the great. I think this is the great irony of pride itself it's actually incredibly small because you're incredibly small uh and it in and it it, it's actually quite easily destroyable through humility um which means depending on god right and and so Mm -hmm. the person who hates themselves often will express this in just a whole variety of ways of saying i am unlovable i am such a horrible sinner i do all these things and you have to like really it's hard because if you you have to be careful because like this is like i think this is the case for some of these issues around pride the human and the spiritual which have like human formation spiritual formation have distinctive elements and if you over if you allow them to over interact too much it can really lead to some dangerous things where you over spiritualize something that needs to be humanly formed or something like that right like invite but that yeah anyways um so you have to be careful to say you know, you're being prideful here because that actually might add to their self-hatred, <laughs> mm-hmm. which doesn't, which isn't the point. It's to say you got to break this cycle of self-hatred, but like, cause pride can really enter into this of, of, I think in the end, like really pride is refusing to see what you look like in the light of God's love, which is that you're really small. Right. right. But that's why really he small loves you. And, he, and really loves. Yes. Right. Like, okay. And he makes you into something great by lifting you up into his life. Right. But the thing is, you can have that self-hatred, both self-hatred and a satisfaction that comes from, a kind of satisfaction that comes from pride at the same time. Mm-hmm. So you are receiving, it, feel, it feels good to tear somebody down because you have exercised power in such a way that you become you feel powerful right it's a very empty satisfaction yeah. but it's there yeah. and you can hate the fact that you know you're no better than that person and still love that feeling of power it's a very it's a very miserable existence but it happens right and a lot of times it happens in very small isolated incidents where we we we, we trip up and we sin but sometimes it becomes a kind of way of life for us okay but i've also noticed something else and i 
I, I, I think I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but I'm just, it's been bounced around in my head a lot that there becomes a kind of addiction to our own sorrow. Yes. Um, and I hear it in the confessional all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, and it, it makes me angry. Now I'm not angry at the person. Cause it's often done because like, I, unconsciously. Yes. There's something like I'm listening to a confession and like something's getting stirred up in me. Like what is going on here? Yeah. Um, and I'm not angry at the person because I know I've been there before. I've been the same person. Um, but there's something off about the way they're expressing sorrow for their sins. Cause it's not actually sorrow for their sins. It's delight in flagellating themselves. Yeah. Yep. This is a weird thing that humans do. You can find it in romantic poetry, um, where the author of the poem is trying to pull out feelings of pleasure from sorrowful subjects. Mm -hmm. Um, looking for the kind of pleasure you get from the catharsis of a good cry. Right. Or I think what it actually comes down to this kind of pleasure in our own decrepitness or seemingly decrepitness is that we finally found the one thing that's genuinely ours hmm. mm -hmm. and we end up having pride in our nothingness. Right. Yep. Which is utterly irrational. Right. So there's a part of us that loves going to the confessional and making the really deep sigh and just telling father that you'll never get over this sin and that you're not even sure how sorry you are. And it's all this performance for yourself because there's an indulgence in the holding on to your sinfulness, because even though it's miserable, it is genuinely yours. And I think people can get stuck in that place. Do you, um, I forget. Have you read Die of a Country Priest? I have not. Okay. You should read it. It's got too many words in it. You're reading uh, another book with too many words in it. This one doesn't have as many words. Look, look, look. It's a small book. No, it's similar sized. Is it? Yeah. Is it really like this big? Yeah. Okay, cool. Never mind. I'll read that. And it's a novel. You, you, you're an English major. I do like novels. So, it, and the one thing about this book is that he makes a lot of literary references, which makes me happy. Right. Okay, oh, go sorry, ahead. Sorry. sorry. Um, no, no, uh, no. Just because there's a actually, it's one of the really the the most climactic scenes of the book, um, which is that the the curé is in this. Uh, I guess it's this uh, countess's house, and she had um, lost her. I, I, it's been a couple of years now since I've read the book last. I, I've read it many times, but I'm trying to recall the story. Anyways, um, she lost her son. A couple, you know, very young son. And, and this is the whole thing. She is attached to her sorrow, right? Yeah. And the whole scene is him trying to break her out of her sorrow, which is an attachment to this sin. And it's a really dramatic, it's actually the most dramatic scene of the whole book. Um, and it's this fight to break out her attachment to her sorrow because she thinks that by attaching to her sorrow, it's the only thing that will bring her back to her son. Mm -hmm. And it's the only thing that kind of keeps his memory alive in her and stuff like this, right? Right. And yeah. and, and and it's this weird twisted thing. This is the, and this is where the pride thing gets in the way is she actually thinks that this is not a god who loves who will allow this, and so I don't want to be near that love, and so I have to attach myself to the sorrow because I, it's the only way I can be close to my son, and my son can't be close to a god who. who who's like this because he doesn't love because he doesn't let this happen type of thing, right? So it's just, yeah. this sorrow is actually a hopelessness, right? It's a hopelessness towards what God's redeeming love does. And I and, and 
it's something I've been praying. This is like, it, this is a little attachment to that then too. Cause like, anyways, it's a great book. I, I say that too, is like, you should read it. So when you do read it, we could talk about it on the podcast or do like a multi series nice. on it or something like that. Cause there's just so many really cool themes in that book. And it's, I think personally, if you work in a parish as, as a priest, especially, or as the layperson, you want to understand like the spiritual component of priesthood. I think this book uh, really encapsulates all of that in a very powerful way. Um, it really takes the radicality of grace seriously. Um, mm-hmm. But was it maybe a week and a half ago, like on the Sunday, maybe not the Sunday, the Sunday before at the Sunday mass, you know, it, it's been, um, it's been a, it's been an interesting few weeks for many reasons um, yeah. in the parish. Yeah, very intense as I've talked to you about a bit. Uh, mm-hmm. Very intense. And my tendency, partially because I'm an external processor, is that if something sucks, I'm going to complain about it. I'm going to grumble about it. Yeah. <laughs> and we, I mean, that's just a human tendency, but I have a tendency to do that a bit more. And I was praying one day. I'm like, oh, I'm grumbling too much. I'm, I'm complaining too much. I'm being too sorrow. Like I'm attached to my sorrow, right? In a way. Um, because it's not, it's not going away. <laughs> like complaining about it, it's not doing anything about it. It was like this weird, like moment of an intuition. I'm going to call it a spiritual intuition. I guess where it was during the consecration and I'm using very Pauline categories from the new Testament here. Jesus is, is essentially putting into my heart. You have too fleshly of worldview. And by this, he means like Paul's sense of the word flesh is the fallenness of our humanity. He's not talking about the body qua body. He's talking about just, Mm -hmm. but there, there's something in our person, body and soul that carries a fallen quality to it that orients us away from God. But the spiritual perspective is not that it annihilates the physical, but that it sees it through the light of the resurrection. And so it's to see suffering and to see difficulty in a new light. And it was just like this little reminder of saying, this is, you want to stop complaining and get like, um, if I am who I say I am, I truly endure so that nothing absolutely nothing can separate you from me nothing absolutely nothing can uh take you away from me and even in these most trying of circumstances which they really are and you have to be careful like you don't want to over spiritualize some of these things sometimes that sometimes it's just sure. human realities suck <laughs> um, <laughs> um that's also true right and and you have to acknowledge again in humility out of like you have to say this is my limit this is the best i can do right um but to say like, but if the resurrection is what I believe, then the redemption of the body means to unite everything that has fallen to that and mm-hmm. to see it through that eyes. Otherwise the sorrow will take over and I and then that's where the pride is. So the, the, for me in that little example there to kind of illustrate everything you're saying is it was a moment of recognizing, not maybe with those words, it was a moment of rec- of, of confessing our pride during the consecration yeah. of all things, mm-hmm. right? And saying, realizing, I was giving into pride by complaining too much. Yeah. And thinking and thinking I was being, you know, just sharing my heart and being authentic, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> exactly. Right? That's what's and really, about it, yeah. I was actually, I was not giving into a spiritual vision of things. And again, like spiritual, not in this like competitive sense that the physical doesn't matter, but it's just, it's yeah. it's the whole through which everything is seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think there's there's a few remedies to this. Mm-hmm. Um, when we get humiliated, 
when someone else points out our faults or when we see it and we feel that that kind of uh, pain of humiliation, that doesn't heal it. Mm -hmm. That just shows us what needs to be healed. Right. So those are the moments where it's like, am I going to respond to God's grace or not? If I choose not, well, then there's going to be more and more humiliations to follow. Okay? Right. If I say yes, there may be more humiliations to follow, but they won't hurt as much. <laughs> um, but I think so that there's a continuation of God's grace, realizing who we are, and then pride melts away into thankfulness. Yeah. So let's say someone doesn't struggle with pride as much, and they begin um, their spiritual conversion, their beginner, they receive consolations. They may respond to that in gratitude, mm -hmm. feeling all the more smaller, but in a way that brings freedom and joy because God is so big, if you will, <laughs> right? So that's the thing that can happen as well. The constellations become a catalyst for whatever is buried under there. So you think about, there's actually kind of brilliance in this, that God is doing two things to the prideful person when he gives them consolations. One, he's giving them consolations. Right. Or, uh, to show how much, like to give them a, a kind of a tangible experience of God's love, giving gifts purely because he loves this person but also pulling out the pride from them at the same time so that further down the line that can be healed and they can grow in more and more genuine love. Right. So it's actually a pretty neat thing that God's doing. Yeah. Okay? So there's all that. Um, but also I have found a great remedy to this is humor. Um, that because we so often over dramatize the beginnings of our spiritual life, because, I mean, we're, hitting, we're being hit with constellations and they feel so amazing or that constellations are removed and they, everything feels so terrible. Mm -hmm. or we have this huge inflated view of ourselves that sometimes just taking a step back and laughing at ourselves actually becomes a great um, remedy to this. Yeah. So I'll share a story just today. Mm -hmm. So school started back up again. Which is still weird and, to me uh, that anybody starts school before Labor Day. I, I, it's weird. I don't like it. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I'm sure the kids <laughs> don't care for it either. But anyway... The kids are at school, and I received a note the other day asking, um, like, will you bless uh, the kids at, over at the school? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. So I'm supposed to bless the kids at 8.30. I, uh, I had forgotten about, so I'm at mass, at 7 o'clock mass. I'm thinking, after 7 o'clock mass, I can go work out, and that'll be great. I'll get a workout in early in the morning. It'll put me in the right mood to get work done. And then in the middle of mass, I remember I have this blessing, and I'm annoyed. I tell myself, okay, you're a priest, you bless stuff, you bless people. Don't be annoyed at having to do your job, mm -hmm. Anthony. Okay. And then I call over to the school. And there's some sort of confusion. They ask, can I can I show up at 9 o'clock instead of 8.30? And so now I'm like, oh, well, I just kind of waited around doing nothing for a while. Because it was early in the morning. I was like, okay, whatever. I'll, go, I'll show up at 9. Fine. I'm getting more annoyed at myself, mm -hmm. you know, at the situation. I get over there, and there is some confusion because they're not quite sure what they want me to do blessing-wise. So they're kind of figuring out in the moment, and I'm getting more irritated. Then I get really irritated because I find out that the pastor had blessed everyone at the opening school assembly. And You're like, why am I here? Well, I didn't say that, but apparently my face did. Because one of the secretaries is like, oh, he's scowling. And I was like, dang it, why'd you say that out loud? I'm trying really hard not to. So it was, I was, yeah. it was, she just pointed out the fact that I am scowling about something about blessing children at right. a Catholic school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
and it was that moment where I was like, oh, I just have to like get over yourself. Like the whole situation was very silly. It's just the beginning of the school year. Things are a little bit messy. Go bless some kids, right? And it's something about taking a step back and realizing how, because before I was like in my head about this is wasting my time. This is messing up my day. I had this perfect thing planned. Um, but actually this isn't at all a big deal. And look how silly you are for being annoyed about you, a Roman Catholic priest, giving kids at a Catholic school a blessing. And kind of breaking out of that and looking at and seeing how silly it is, mm -hmm. that is a way to reconnect us with humility and with reality of the situation. So we need to stop taking ourselves so seriously. Right. Like on the, on the weekend, because the readings were very um, around humility and everything. I, I, mm -hmm. I, I, I don't know if it was like where you are, but um, this is definitely a very Canadian thing. You go to someone's house and say, oh, you sit mm -hmm. here or, oh, serve yourself first. You're like, no, no, no. Oh, no, please, I insist. No, no, no. It's like you have to do this, like, this play for two or three times before it's socially yeah. acceptable to actually finally accept and I said, Absolutely. listen, there's nothing wrong with this, okay? Like, there's nothing, but I like, but I think it also, actually, it, what it's doing is it's feigning humility. Yes. Because humility will rejoice when someone offers you a free gift, you say thank you and you accept right away. That's yeah. humility. It's receptive <laughs> yeah. immediately. Mm -hmm. And so, like, actually, just like when I was in Seattle, like, oh, you go first. You're out. Of, you're from out of town. I was like, okay, thanks. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, like, they're, they want to give this gift and why who am I to refuse this gift this is the thing the refusal is actually not humble right no it's actually saying but again like, it's, not, it's not like a moral evil or anything it's not even like trying to reveal like hidden pride per se because right. we just do this like unconsciously right but it's just to say like pride to if you want to fight pride like accept a gift when it's given to you and say thank you yeah and that's it like you don't need to faint, oh no, no, you don't need to do that for me or anything like this. Um, and exactly, and we have to like not take ourselves so seriously, which is hard to do sometimes because mm -hmm. we also do deal with various serious uh, things. Sure. And I think at the heart of it too is, I like more of a priestly twinge now, I guess for a second mm -hmm. is. Wait, why not? That's, we're, we're clerics, we can do whatever the heck we want. Uh, no. Amen. <laughs> um, it's something like I'm reflecting on more and more is to say, this is what I can do and this is what I can't do. Like, like uh, just without, you know, just some of the conversations I had over in Seattle was really interesting hearing some of the priests talk about like, I can't do this. And so I had to hire someone to do this for me. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I mean, first I'm like, well, I don't have the money to do that. <laughs> you know, right. I really, yeah. man, like, oh my gosh. Like I will say like the, the, I don't necessarily want what the amount of my American parishes get per se. But the dichotomy is like vast. <laughs> it's very vast. Indeed. A parish my size on on average, from what I've heard from different priests, brings in like four to six times more after exchange rate than I do. <laughs> so I'm, this is why like I can maybe hire one person. You know, that's it. Right. Um, but I was like, you know, I, I, but I, and it's something I'm always struggling with too because we've gone through a lot of change in my parish. Um, right now at the moment I am without any staff and I'm trying to keep the ship afloat <laughs> but I know I can't do it on my own but I also don't know the parish well enough because of COVID on how I could trust and trust other things to others 
if that makes sense, you know? Mm-hmm. And so you're just like, but I know I can't do all this. I know I can't do this and I'm not great at this or I just need help to free up my time to actually, so I can exercise and stuff like this, mm-hmm. you know, cause I need that so that I can actually be like <laughs> ready to go to do my priest thing. But it's also about like learning to say like, so for actually like at the same time, I have gotten better about that to say what you're asking of me, uh, it's beyond my expertise and I'm happy to have met you with you once or twice. But what you need is this, and that's outside the scope of my abilities or mm-hmm. time commitment even. Yeah. And that is, pride actually wants to say, I can do it. I can do all of it. it it's, I think it's the same thing for a parent. Mm-hmm. Do what? I'm not good at this as a parent. I need the spouse to do this, or I need a family member to help us out with this, or... I'm really struggling because the kids are always up and I'm never getting any sleep. Can someone like take them for a night so we can get a good night's sleep so we can be good parents or something like that? Like those are yeah. all good things to do. And that kills pride. Yeah. So final thought. Yep. Um, if you're thinking to yourself, oh no, I thought I was holy. Now it turns out I'm prideful. And you start circling the toilet of despair. Good. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> We're going to end on a genuine note here. Um, <laughs> If you find yourself circling the, t- the deep, dark toilet of despair, um, take a step back and realize, oh, big surprise, you're a beginner and you screwed up. And, and to be perfectly honest, and um, Father Mark makes this, uh, uh, the author makes this known as well, in a certain sense, we're all beginners in the spiritual life. And so don't be super shocked that you found out that you're prideful. Um, actually, this is a good thing because God is revealing to you what he's going to heal. So chill. Yeah. And if you get confused about where you are in the spiritual life, about like, what does this consolation mean? What does this desolation mean? It's okay to say, I just don't know right now. Yeah. You don't have to decide immediately what it is or what it isn't. Yeah. That again is kind of humility. Yep. So we're all very silly, prideful people. And as soon as we realize that it's very silly, I think in a big way, it's the first step to actually becoming holy. Yes. Thanks for listening. Please leave a review on iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast. Tell your enemies too, because Jesus says we must love our enemies. You can find me. Um, feeding Nick many fatty fish. Oh, yes. Bringing Nick an entire pizza. You can find me on Twitter at FR Harrison. <laughs> Contact the podcast and receive updates at ClericalPod on Twitter. Find us on Facebook, YouTube, or email us at clericallyspeaking at gmail.com. Do you have a theological emergency? Please call 412-912-7995. That's 412-912-7995. And I'm hearing rumors out there that some of you are too embarrassed or too afraid to send in your theological emergency. Well, you need to get over your prideful self and just ask your question because it's super fun for us to do on the show. You'll get an answer. It'll be great. It'll be. It'll work against your pride. You'll grow in humility. Just go ahead, pick up the phone and call. Because worst case scenario, we just never use your question, and no one needs to know about how silly you are. That's Amen. the worst thing that can happen. Amen. Right? Amen. The best thing that can happen is you become super famous. Um, <laughs> peace. God bless. Uh, we'll keep this video recording here. I'm going to go...